Hey student bodies, thanks for joining us for this month's meeting of Super Chillers, an exclusive club where we read and discuss retro teen horror novels. I'm Katie. And I'm Jeffrey. And on today's episode, Sweet Valley High's Return of the Evil Twin by Francine Pascal. The evil twin has committed the ultimate crime, murder. Screams in the night. Jessica and Elizabeth Wakefield have no idea that their world is about to be turned upside down again! <laughs> Last Christmas, Margot, a girl who looked, talked, and dressed exactly like Jessica and Elizabeth, arrived in Sweet Valley to take what she considered her rightful place in the Wakefield home. On a dark winter's night, Margot fell to a violent death, and the Wakefields thought their nightmare was over. But they didn't know about Nora, Margot's own twin sister. Nora, separated from Margot at birth, is outraged when she discovers that the sister she'd never known is dead, and that California's picture-perfect twins are to blame. Now Nora wants revenge, and she's capable of evil beyond anything Margot could have ever dreamed. <laughs> Don't miss Jessica and Elizabeth's terrifying encounter with the evil twin Swin. Will this Christmas be their last? <laughs> what are the chances? <laughs> I mean, astronomically low. Um, so this this uh, description is also inaccurate, right? In a couple different ways. Um, for one, they weren't separated at birth, were they? No, I think they were like two or something. Yeah, they when they were. They had a few years like, on them. Yeah, because she was, Marco was already bad assaulting little animals <laughs> exactly. and stuff. <laughs> yeah, they're like, well, that's the bad one. Let's get rid of that one. Um, and then yeah. also uh, that last line, uh, she's capable of evil beyond anything Margo could have ever dreamed. Very wrong. Very wrong. We've, we've met Margo. I mean, she wishes that she was capable of half of what Margo exactly. could dream of. <laughs> All right. So why don't you lead us through this cover, Katie? Now, of course, much like uh, last year when we talked about the evil twin, this is a twofer cover. You've got the cover on the front and you flip it open. You got another cover inside, a step back cover. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, a nifty step back cover. Um, so the front cover is just a close up of a broken angel Christmas tree ornament, um, similar to in the Evil Twin. It was also a broken Christmas tree ornament, but the uh, real magic is when you open <laughs> that cover <laughs> and you're treated to sort of a humorous depiction of a rather tragic <laughs> scene that took place in the book. Yeah. Elizabeth is cradling Jessica, her twin, in her arms, and Jessica appears to be dead. Um, and Elizabeth, of course, looks very shocked and horrified. But the humorous part is that off in the corner, we see one of the evil twins looking back at them, holding a bloody knife and sort of looking like the Fonz in her little leather jacket. <laughs> I mean, she looks like a 1950s greaser, which is perfectly yeah. appropriate. As we have learned through Super Chiller's lore, every good YA villain should be a 1950s greaser. It's true. And she has sort of an almost 
seductive expression on her face <laughs> or maybe it's just sinister i'm not sure <laughs> she's she's like looking back over her shoulder like i can turn back around <laughs> if you would like yeah <laughs> so this this step back is pretty accurate like this scene does happen in the book which is appreciated um minus all of the blood that should be there as we will get yeah. to jessica should be covered in blood but there's none at all um, she should understandable why they'd nix that for for this but nevertheless uh liz kind of looks like she's trying to shake jessica awake because santa is downstairs mm-hmm. it's it's not exactly <laughs> the most the most accurate uh oh my twin is is stabbed uh expression but also yeah. the funniest thing here is that liz is wearing the most stereotypical pajamas possible um <laughs> she's only missing a sleeping cap otherwise she's wearing what bert from sesame street wears to bed <laughs> it's true and um i believe in the actual scene from which this picture is taken she is not wearing blue striped pajamas she's wearing a fuzzy bathrobe um <laughs> she took some time to put on her bathrobe while her twin was struggling in the next room but that's okay that's a-okay well, yeah. so we did cover the evil twin last year, and we had a great time doing it. Um, I think it's one of uh, our classic episodes, if we can even say that we have classic episodes. But certainly uh, a wonderfully memorable book that I have not been able to stop citing in one form or another for the past year. <laughs> and so it felt right to come back to it and, uh, and do the sequel for this Christmas season. And oh, Christmas, New Year's, because these books, yeah, they can't just be contained to one holiday. They need to do yeah. both. <laughs> um, so we do want to go back through the characters. Uh, if you haven't listened to the, the, the previous episode or if you're a little bit unfamiliar with the world of Sweet Valley. Uh, so I'll, I'll keep it brief, but uh, we'll, we'll update you on what's been going on in the Wakefield Twins universe since uh, the previous year. So first off, we have Elizabeth Wakefield. She is the serious and studious Wakefield twin. She's dependable, well-organized, with classic taste, like, you know, striped pajamas. <laughs> if she's not out on the town being very chaste with her longtime boyfriend, then she's probably off organizing a fundraiser for charity. That is Elizabeth Wakefield. She is the twin who is so boring that no killer wants to replace her and take her life over. <laughs> <laughs> Very humorously, in the previous book, Margot wanted to replace Elizabeth, even though she was very clearly a Jessica. Thankfully, this time she she understood the assignment and she's like, no, this time I'm Jessica, which causes a little bit of friction between these twins. <laughs> oh, spoiler that Margo is back, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, it is called Return of the Evil Twin. What, <laughs> what could you expect? Um, so Jessica Wakefield is the other uh, half of this power duo. She's the cool twin. If she can't be fashionable, she'll settle for being fashionably late. She loves starring in school plays, dancing at the beach disco, and leading cheers at football games. Apparently hasn't spiked any punch bowls or organized any memorial dirt bike rally since the last we saw her. Uh, she's dating a new guy, uh, quarterback Ken Matthews, but he's not even seduced and or killed by an evil twin in this one, so who cares? Yeah, it's true. And um, although those sort of tra- tragic and traumatic events 
from the previous New Year's were only one year ago, Jessica is over it by now. She's ready to get back out there on New Year's Eve and start partying. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Stephen Wakefield is their older brother, and he is barely in this. He's mostly relegated (laughs) to trying to persuade Liz that Margot is dead and can't hurt her anymore. Uh, uh, most notable for me was that his, uh, girlfriend, Bobby from last year, who he was like constantly making out with has been sent to the Island of misfit ex-girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Stephen is, but as you said, not super involved in this book. Um, he did have one sort of memorable line for me, um, after Elizabeth <laughs> thinks that Jessica has been killed. Stephen says, that's really sad. I know how close the two of you were. (laughs) She was his sister. (laughs) You know, he's off to college now. He's a little bit separated from the family unit. Yeah. (sighs) Ma and Pa Wakefield are also in this one. Um, They're present throughout the novel this time, but like in the main action, rather Mm -hmm. than being off on, as I described it last year, the boring planes, trains, and automobiles adventure as they try to get home to the girls and totally worthless uh, uh, sections of the novel that just kind of padded out. Um, Still, they're pretty much completely useless and pointless here as well. Um, And this is kind of a running theme with most of the characters in this book who are part of the extended Sweet Valley universe, they don't really have much to do. An interesting fact about the parents is that they really could not tell their own twins from these two random set of twins um, that just showed up at their house. And I think that if you're a twin parent, you should be able to recognize your own children. (laughs) You've had like 16 to 18 years to be able to do it. (laughs) Never mind that one of them has a strong southern accent and the other one (laughs) (laughs) smells like cigarettes. Just wafting (laughs) cigarettes everywhere she goes. Yeah, weird they haven't noticed that. Uh, So the only, uh, so, okay, so we've got like, you know, all the cast is here. Lila Fowler, Bruce Patman, Winston Egbert, Enid Rollins, Mm -hmm. Dana Larson, they're all here, but they've got almost nothing to do. The only person who's important is... Todd. Todd Wilkins. A very important part of Evil Twin Part 1. Very important part of Evil Twin Part 2. And Elizabeth's steady boyfriend. And also the town dullard, as far as we can tell. (laughs) Uh, Last year I described him as being pretty thick-skulled. He did survive a braining, don't forget. Uh, But this year I'll go with impenetrably blockheaded. He almost dies in a car accident very early in the book after his brain's operating system randomly shuts down, uh, only to be pulled from the wreckage by Jessica, whom he then pledges unwavering fealty and perhaps love for. You know, he's never noticed it, but the identical twin of his longtime girlfriend sure is pretty. Yeah, the thing about Todd is um, he doesn't really care who he's kissing as long as there is some sort of blonde person in front of him. (laughs) They're all just identical to him. Could it be that he's like very nearsighted or maybe even farsighted? So like when they're coming up close to him, he's like, well, they're blonde. It's good enough. Yeah, he might have um, face blindness like (laughs) Tom Cruise. (laughs) That's it. Oh, poor Todd. We're sorry. And one more thing that you have to know about Todd is that Jeffrey Canino once called him the dullest boy at the beach disco. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Prove me wrong. 
Uh, Margot Black slash Chappelle. Last time we called her Margot Chappelle, I think just because I I looked it up online. Um, but we only find out that she's a Chappelle. She's from yeah. uh, um, from Southern royalty uh, in this book. <laughs> uh, she's previously referred to as Margot Black. She is the OG evil twin. Uh, she is an abused foster child who, over the span of like six books, in the wake of one particularly notable jungle prom, left a trail of bodies as she worked her way from Long Island to Sweet Valley, California, where she hoped to replace Elizabeth in the Wakefield home. This all happened in The Evil Twin. Curiously, all she needed to do was lighten and cut her hair, and she looks exactly like one of the Wakefields. Uh, this went pretty well for her up until a point. She caused a lot of havoc in Sweet Valley by impersonating the twins and killing people until she got a little sloppy on New Year's Eve and wound up pushed out a pool house a window at Fowler Crest, taking a piece of glass to the throat. Wink, wink, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but what's that you say? Uh, the ambulance who took her away? mysteriously braked, started again, and then drove over a cliff into water in full view of everyone who just didn't notice, and her body was never recovered? Probably nothing to be concerned about. But they still um, gave her a gravestone and buried an empty coffin for her. It was, what was it? It's like the uh, the group, uh, it's like a gr- troubled teen support group that, that yeah. erected that. Oh she God. made that much of an impression on this community. <laughs> They're still talking about it a year later. Oh, boy. Oh, Marco, we'll never forget you and your trash can eyes. <laughs> never. <laughs> well, you know, it wouldn't be a, a, a return of the evil twin without a return of the other evil twin, Nora Chappelle. She is our Southern Belle and the evil twin's evil twin. Has a cool Gemini tattoo and can see smells. That's her superpower, didn't you know? (laughs) Uh, After her father dies, her stepmother offers her 50K and a tantalizing bit of info. You're a twin. Don't you remember? No? Oh, okay. Well, we gave your sister away when you were like five, but okay, it's fine. Uh, Northern spends about half of the book tracking down Margot's history before settling on a scheme not too dissimilar from her late sister's. If Margot is the crazy-eyed Jessica of this deadly duo, then that makes Nora the Elizabeth with all the yawns that that implies. Yeah, but none of the smarts, unfortunately, for her. No. (laughs) So she does um, have the ability to see smells, which I didn't know was a thing. And I did look it up, and it's an actual condition called synesthesia. Yep. And um, I suspect that she also has something called trypophobia, which is the fear of clusters of small holes, because she keeps mentioning how the eyelets in her bedspread are tiny (laughs) eyes that are watching her. She does keep (laughs) mentioning that. Yeah, you're right. Wow, she's she's got a few different uh, uh, fears and conditions. Yeah. <sighs> Last people I'll mention, just because they have funny names, are Blanche, Junebug, and Cater Lee. These are the stepmother <laughs> and aunts of Nora. Um, uh, Blanche is uh, <laughs> described at one point as being tenacious as a crawdad and twice as mean. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Southern flavor in this one. Um, and Blanche also features in uh, my two favorite words in this text, which come on page 28, when we learn that uh, uh, during a conversation with Nora, Blanche blanched. <laughs> I was hoping you would make note of that. I, I giggled. <laughs> 
Um, I did picture her as Blanche from the Golden Girls in her description. Same accent, same sequin tracksuit. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more like Tennessee Williams, like Blanche Dubois. Ooh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, one other character that you forgot to mention who is pretty important is Prince Albert, the Wakefield Twins Golden Retriever, who <laughs> is right. featured in about 17 <laughs> chapters of this book. You're right. Oh, I should have mentioned <laughs> Prince Albert. <laughs> he saves the day. No big deal. All right, you want to lead us through the plot of this twisty and turny Christmas and New Year's adventure, Katie? I do. Okay, so uh, one year has passed and things are back to normal in Sweet Valley after those traumatic events that you mentioned in your description. Um, it's the holiday season once again. Elizabeth is nervous about making plans for New Year's Eve, so she plans to just spend a cozy evening at home with her boyfriend, Todd. However, Jessica tactfully says, last year was ancient history, since <laughs> she wasn't the twin whose life Margot wanted to take over. <laughs> so this girl needs New Year's plans. Um, the twins come up with an idea to throw a fundraiser at the carnival, so they immediately start scrambling to pull together their plans. The scene changes and we're suddenly taken out of Sweet Valley all the way to Savannah, Georgia. Ooh, exotic can... locale. <laughs> I can feel the heat. Can you smell the sweet tea and magnolias in the air? Uh, no, but I can see them. <laughs> this scene was so unnecessarily atmospheric, but I loved it so much. <laughs> think bourbon, think hoop skirts, think cotillions. <laughs> We're with Nora. She's at her father's funeral, which is taking place in their mansion. Nora's stepmother, Blanche, has always hated Nora. She pulls her aside after the funeral, gives her a check for $50,000, and tells her basically, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. <laughs> but not before revealing that Nora actually has a twin somewhere out there. Blanche begged Nora's father to put both of his twins up for adoption because she always hated them, but he negotiated her down to just putting one twin up <laughs> He strikes adoption. a hard bargain. <laughs> <laughs> and Nora's thrilled by this news because she's always been so unhappy at home and she's always felt like there was a part of her that's missing, so she sets out on her own, determined to find her long-lost twin sister and make her family whole. So back in Sweet Valley... Elizabeth and her friends make plans to go Christmas caroling, but both Jessica and Todd are running late. It's already about 9 p.m., which I feel is a rather impolite time to have carolers <laughs> yeah, show up at that. your house. Yeah, I don't want that. No, thank you. You got to do it around like 7? Yeah, like dinner time. Dinner. Oh, sure. Not like bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in this case, Jessica and Todd have a good reason for being late. You see, Todd had gotten in a really bad car wreck on his way to meet everyone, and Jessica, who saw Todd's wrecked vehicle, stopped to help him and basically save his life before his car fell over the cliff. And this seems rather out of character for Jessica, and I thought for sure she was going to say something like, well, I left my favorite jacket in the back of Todd's car, so I was actually <laughs> trying to save that. <laughs> but no, she was super brave and heroic. And at the hospital, Jessica goes in to see Todd, and he thanks her for saving his life. And a reporter 
catches the two of them in this nice moment and takes a photo, which was published in the newspaper the next day with the erroneous caption, local girl saves her boyfriend's life. And when Elizabeth sees that newspaper, she starts feeling very jealous. She's worried that because Jessica and Todd shared this near-death experience, that it somehow made some romantic feelings happen between the two of them. Nora's driving all over Tarnation trying to track down her twin sister Margot. She has some remnants of different foster care reports and newspaper articles that reveal what a tragic upbringing Margot had. She was moved around from home to home, always in very unfortunate circumstances, and Nora feels guilty because she was raised in this mansion living a fancy high society savannah lifestyle. And when she comes across an article that says that Margot's foster home burned down and Margot was presumed dead, Nora is so devastated. But then she eventually comes across another article, the same article that Margot had read the previous year, that um, shows a courtroom photo of Elizabeth Wakefield on trial for when she accidentally drove drunk after the jungle prom. <laughs> um, and Nora is so shocked because Elizabeth looks just like her. And the next article she reads details the events of the previous New Year's Eve, how Margot's murder attempt plot was foiled. So Nora's joy upon hearing that Margot was alive and in California was short-lived because, of course, Margot was presumed dead after having fallen out of that window. Imagine every background check the Wakefield twins go through when they apply <laughs> for a job. Like, no, they're never getting any job. Too much drama. <laughs> Who would have thought that um, a DUI incident of a high schooler would make this national news, but... <laughs> Um, so the ambulance had picked up Margot's body and on the way to the hospital, the paramedics realized that she was still alive. Um, but you know, as you mentioned, the ambulance mysteriously got in this wreck on the way there and it ends up in the river and Margot's body was never recovered. <laughs> so Nora, like her twin sister, channels her rage at the Wakefield twins. She decides to go to Sweet Valley to finish what Margot started and put an end to Jessica and or Elizabeth. <laughs> She's able to locate the Wakefield residents pretty easily by looking them up in the phone book. And she goes to do a bit of snooping and she realizes that Jessica and Elizabeth are still in this big fight because Elizabeth thinks Jessica's trying to steal Todd. But aside from that, of course, the Wakefield twins' life is very enviable. They have this beautiful house, very caring parents, cute boyfriends, every possible comfort. And Nora thinks that it's so sad that Margot had this really sad upbringing with nothing to her name. Um, and she thinks that Margot really deserved this life so much more than the one she was handed. So this furthers her resolve to carry out Margot's revenge on the twins. And what's more... That night, she dreams that she's digging in the ground at Margot's gravestone, and when she gets to Margot's coffin, she finds that it's empty, and she takes this as a sign that perhaps Margot is actually still alive. I mean, the grave literally is empty, though. I guess she yeah. doesn't know that. I, don't, I mean, she might, but yeah, it's empty. <laughs> so Nora decides to go to Margot's gravestone to see if she kind of has any more feelings or sensations about Marco's status as a living person or a dead person. 
And as she contemplated this, she feels someone grab her neck from behind and whirl her around. As Nora's eyes fell upon her attacker's face, she realizes that she's looking at none other than her twin sister, Margot. (laughs) Who could thunk it? Everyone in this book just looks identical to each other. (laughs) So the two are so thrilled to meet each other. And Nora thinks, well, now that we have each other, we don't have to go through with the plan to replace Elizabeth Wakefield. But Margot replies, on the contrary, now that there are two of us, we can replace both of the Wakefield twins. (laughs) And after some makeovers, shopping trips, and thorough quizzing of each other, (laughs) (laughs) The twins decide to test their effectiveness as Jessica and Elizabeth. First, they fully pass as Jessica and Elizabeth in front of the twins' own parents. (laughs) (laughs) Who, again, are apparently, like, scent blind. Yeah. Well, it makes me wonder how this sort of resemblance is possible. Like, there's no no way that these four aren't identical quadruplets, right? Like, don't you think there was some shady adoption agency... And like Ned and Alice adopted two of them and the other two went to Nora's parents in Georgia. You know, we we questioned last time what what Ned was up to. Has he ever had any (laughs) business dealings in the South? Has he he drank long and deep from a glass of peach tea? (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe it's some sort of orphan black like cloning experiment. Uh, like maybe there are even more Wakefield twin lookalikes out there. Well, we have to wait until Sweet Valley <laughs> University to find that out. <laughs> um, so Nora also goes out on a date with Todd, again, who is Elizabeth's boyfriend, to a movie that Elizabeth is also attending with her friend. So Elizabeth sees Todd kissing this person who looks identical to her, and she thinks her suspicions about Todd and Jessica are correct, and they really are seeing each other. So Elizabeth is furious at Jessica and Todd. She won't talk to either one of them, and of course, they really have no idea why, because they didn't do anything wrong. So by now, Margot and Nora are also a bit mad at each other, Because, you see, now that Nora has played the part of Elizabeth, she's kind of realized that Jessica is actually a much better fit for her personality and her life goals. Um, She doesn't want to be some boring, polite, goody-two-shoes, just like her stepmother always wanted her to be. She wants to be fun and flirty, like Jessica. (laughs) And once again, we have an evil twin misjudging her own character. Nora yeah. could never pull off Jessica. She is 100% no, no. Elizabeth, and she should yeah. have kept it simple. Yeah, later when she even goes into Jessica's bedroom, she notices how messy it is, and she's like, <laughs> Jessica may have to change that in the future. <laughs> but she could just be Elizabeth. Oh, yeah, come on. exactly. <laughs> the, their fatal flaw, wanting what they are not. Yeah, um, but Marco says to this request, no, no. I had to be Elizabeth last year. I paid my dues as that drip, and now I get to be Jessica. So they both want this coveted role of Jessica. (laughs) But there can't be two Jessica Wakefields in Sweet Valley. It would upset the delicate ecosystem. (laughs) It's true. There would be an entire collapse. Uh, uh, All the insects would die off. Birds birds would be falling in the streets. Yeah. So the night of the Sweet Valley New Year's Carnival, 
Elizabeth is the ultimate organizer, running around like crazy the whole evening. The carnival is very well attended and everyone is having a blast. Jessica wants to go in the Hall of Mirrors with her friend Lila, but Lila wants to go see a fortune teller, so Jessica goes off on her own. And as she admires her reflection in the assortment of mirrors, she begins to panic as one of her reflections starts moving independently. <laughs> so later that evening, Margot decides that it's the opportune time to make her move, no matter what Margot thinks. If she kills Jessica, Margot has to let her continue to play Jessica, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> Evil twin logic. We can't question it. Yeah. So Jessica and Elizabeth, they're still fighting, so they come home from the carnival separately and go right to bed. Nora sneaks into Jessica's room and stabs her multiple times. Now, I personally don't know what Nora's endgame was here. <laughs> Did she think she was going to hide the body and clean up the crime scene all while Elizabeth was in the next room? <laughs> Absolutely baffling. It makes no sense at all. Like, one would imagine, like, oh, I'm just going to kill her, dispose of her body, and replace her. Exactly. That's not what she does at all. This just proves that Nora is the lesser evil twin. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you got to plan this stuff out. Margot spent, again, like six books figuring yeah. this out what did you do yeah. you just drove up from georgia <laughs> or wherever yeah so of course elizabeth hears the struggle and she bursts into jessica's room only to catch a glimpse of a blonde-haired girl in a leather jacket fleeing out the window and to her horror she sees her twin's body covered in blood jessica is pronounced dead and this wrecks the whole of Sweet Valley to its core. Everyone is shocked and devastated, most of all Elizabeth. But Nora is also pretty devastated because now that everyone knows Jessica is dead, she'll have to switch places with Elizabeth. <laughs> oh, that old trip. No! <laughs> and for some reason, Marco is MIA through all of this. And Nora just figures this is because she's still mad at her. But she'll be so proud of her when she comes back and sees what happens, that half of her plan has already been achieved. So Nora decides to go to Jessica's funeral. She's wearing the same dress as Elizabeth, of course, in case anyone recognizes her. And one of Elizabeth's friends comes up to Elizabeth and says, how did you get here so fast? I just saw you like all the way across the room. And this makes Elizabeth think, uh-oh, someone who looks exactly like me? Marco is back. Ah. <laughs> um, so Elizabeth starts getting that feeling that Jessica may not be dead after all. As you may recall, the two share this twin tuition almost. <laughs> she has the strongest feeling that Jessica is in danger, but that she's very much alive. And the place where she felt this sensation the strongest was in her school auditorium. So <laughs> which is, she decides... Which is where Jessica's, uh, like, memorial service takes place, right. by the way. Very important detail. They, they call exactly. up the principal because they're like, he'll allow this. This is the place where Jessica feels most at home. <laughs> exactly. They even say that Jessica loved school so much, which I don't think is the case. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. the mall wasn't open for her memorial <laughs> service, but 2,000 oh people are described as, a, as attending her service. <laughs> the, this whole world revolves around Jessica. That just made me think of an amazing idea. Please make sure when I die that my memorial service is at a mall. <laughs> Do you have any particular uh, malls in mind? 
um, let's go with that one in um, New Jersey, that like fancy one. Okay. Wait, I don't want to die in New Jersey. <laughs> well, you're not dead and you don't die. In, you just moved to New Jersey. Okay. Your body. All right, then fine. the plan still stands. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll work out the details. <laughs> Keep us updated. So again, she goes back to the school auditorium to investigate. She's hunting around backstage in the darkness and she sees that the door to the furnace room has been prepped open and there's a black leather jacket hanging from the doorknob. So she knows that if Jessica is down there, she's not alone. She creeps down the stairs and sees two identical blonde girls. One is tied up and one is holding a giant knife. And the sound of Elizabeth's footsteps catch Nora off guard and this gives Jessica enough time to knock her over and grab the knife. The twins profess their joy at seeing each other alive, to which Nora says, wait, you're not Margot? <laughs> <laughs> the realization of what she had done begins to dawn on her. Margot had kidnapped Jessica from the Hall of Mirrors and tied her up at the school. And then she snuck back to the Wakefield's house, got into Jessica's bed, ready to wake up on January 1st as the new Jessica. This is a much better thought out plan, proving why Marco is the superior twin. But then you bring Nora into the mix. She stabbed the girl in Jessica's bed, who was her own twin, Marco. And as the policeman come to arrest Nora, he tells the girls that Nora would be charged with assaulting Jessica and for the murder of Marco. But he adds mysteriously, if that really was Marco in Jessica's bed the other night. So I hope this is a clue <laughs> that over the past year, Marco has recruited some sort of fleet of identical blonde decoys <laughs> that she can strategically use to further her plan of revenge against the Wakefield twins. And right now she's just resting comfortably on a Caribbean beach somewhere waiting for her next Moment to strike. Are, okay, so is identical triplets a thing? Is that possible? Um, I looked up identical quadruplet chances, <laughs> and it's one in 13 million. So, um... <laughs> well, I mean, that's actually... So it has happened. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah, it ha I saw pictures when I um, investigated. Um, it is possible. So that is the end of our super chilling tale. Happy new twin. <laughs> Happy new twin. <laughs> All right. Our next section is called Blood and Lace. And it's here that we like to describe all of the cute and cozy and deadly outfits from our books and this one has a handful so katie you want to lead us through all of these <laughs> fantastic ensembles yeah i would love to um the first comes at the top of page 36 of course <laughs> it's with um our girls lila fowler and dana larson the most stylish girls i would say in sweet valley For sure. um these are their outfits that they're wearing to go caroling. Um, it says, Lila looked like a ski wear model in a chic aqua parka with rabbit fur trim. In stark contrast to Dana Larson, lead singer for the droids, who wore <laughs> leggings and the oversized top to a Santa Claus costume, trimmed in white fake fur and belted in black patent leather. <laughs> I, I personally cannot wait to see your artistic rendition <laughs> 
of uh, uh, Dana Larson's outfit. Yeah, I think I drew um, the outfit that she wore in The Evil Twin from last year. It was also very sort of punk rock Christmassy. Um, yeah, she was an elf in that one, yeah. and now she's Santa. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so I, cool. <laughs> I will make brief note that we do actually, I don't know if, the, uh, full disclosure, these are the only two Sweet Valley books I've ever read. Uh, I have a lot of them, but I have not read any of them yet besides uh, these two. And um, I will say that I don't know if we get much insight into the, the droids' music. Uh, we get one song here with some lyrics, and they're terrible they're really <laughs> bad uh, so i hope that the droids uh have better songs elsewhere in their discography look dana doesn't write all the songs she is a performer um you mm. can't blame her for the poor quality of the lyrics <laughs> you're right maybe i just have to see it um so the songs that they choose to sing for going christmas caroling are jingle bells little drummer boy Grandma got run over by a reindeer and Silent Night. <laughs> the four classics. Man, I'd hate to be the little drummer boy house. Um, okay, so the next bad moonlight moment comes on page 191. Um, and this doesn't exactly describe the outfits in such cool and crazy detail, but it is a bit important because it describes um, the links that Margot and Nora have to go through to kind of up their wardrobe so that they match the Wakefield twins. Um, so it says, Nora untwisted her hair from its ponytail and arranged it in barrettes, while Margot ruffled through a shopping bag full of clothes. She had been working for a year on duplicating items in the Wakefield twins' wardrobe, but buying clothes was expensive, and shoplifting them was risky, but now with Nora's money from Blanche, the girls had been able to add a lot to Margot's collection. <laughs> Jessica's wearing her pink tank top, Margot said, pulling one from the bag. It's one of my favorites. And here's a white cotton sweater like Liz has on. Um, so I think that this is sort of funny because they're watching Jessica and Elizabeth from a distance and just pulling clothes out of their bag to match exactly what the girls are wearing. <laughs> they're that predictable. <laughs> And each one of those tank tops was $10,000. <laughs> yeah. They burned through this money really quickly. <laughs> they really did. Imagine like having sort of cool street style like Marco probably has and then having to <laughs> just get all of these boring cardigan sweaters. <laughs> By street style, you mean like the tattered rag <laughs> she's wearing when she lives on the streets, which she has been doing for the past year? <laughs> Um, okay, and then the final sort of fashion moment um, that I wanted to mention comes on page 254. It says, 45 minutes later, Elizabeth was pacing. Her tears marked a path across the shiny white floor of the emergency room waiting area. She was vaguely surprised to notice that she was still wearing her terry bathrobe thrown hastily over her blood-spattered pajamas. I thought that was so sad because she just kind of is still wearing the pajamas that she was wearing when she found Jessica's body. (laughs) Wow. So I guess they could be those blue striped pajamas that she's wearing on the front cover. (laughs) Yeah. But where did the terry cloth robe go? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Well, I actually, I I picked out a couple other blood and lace moments uh, that you didn't mention. Awesome. Um, that are admittedly quite minor moments, but they were ones that made me chuckle. 
Uh, one of them comes on page 220. It's when uh, Jessica has put on a blouse that is wrinkled. And she's trying desperately to get the wrinkles out of it. And it's not working. So <laughs> she finds a solution. Jessica grabbed her purple and gold earrings and threaded them through her ears. She smiled at her reflection. Then she frowned, considering her blouse again. She tried to smooth out the wrinkles with her hand. If you can't beat them, distract them, <laughs> Jessica said to the mirror as she undid her second button. And then the third... <laughs> The girl in the mirror did the same and grinned back at Jessica, <laughs> satisfied. So, yeah, there's another twin living in that mirror, and she also unbuttons the top three buttons. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great approach to um, for when you don't feel like ironing something. <laughs> that's what I do. I have all three buttons unbuttoned right now on my, uh, <laughs> my rugby shirt. <laughs> Uh, let's see. The next moment comes on page 321. Uh, it is, it is after or sort of during the, the saving of Jessica when she's trapped in the, the basement of the school and liberated by, uh, Elizabeth. Let's see. It goes like this, just a little bit down the page. Oh, Lizzie, Jessica breathed. You don't know how glad I am to see you. She slashed through the ropes that bound her wrist, nicking the edge of one purple sleeve in her eagerness to be free. But that was all right. After wearing the blouse for days on end, Jessica didn't care if she never saw it again. <laughs> Plus, it wrinkles so easily. You don't really need that piece in your wardrobe. <laughs> Get rid of it. <laughs> um, all right. So I did have one blood and lace related question for you um and it, it has to do with something that i imagine is part of other sweet valley books but is only briefly mentioned here we don't have a jungle prom like last time i asked you what do you wear into the jungle prom here we don't have jungle prom but we do have the beach disco <laughs> what the heck are you wearing to the beach disco in december <laughs> oh you know what I wouldn't give to be at a beach disco right now as I live in a very cold place. Um, I feel like you have to probably wear like a sparkly bathing suit, um, yeah. something that mimics a disco ball, yeah. um, maybe with like some stretchy like bell bottom pants, um, probably I want to say sunglasses, but I figure this would be a nighttime event. I'm not sure why. It would probably be yeah, nighttime. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, and maybe like some platform flip-flops like people wore in the <laughs> early 2000s. <laughs> wow, those would be great on sand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, have you thought about your outfit for the beach disco? Um, it's coming up, so you better um, pull your outfit together. <laughs> <laughs> okay so i will admit that when i was in my tween years i purchased a lot of shiny and sparkly shirts from i believe they all came from hot topic uh and uh you know they were all button-up shirts uh that were short sleeve and very shiny almost like yeah the best comparison I can make to uh, uh, the 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 fabrics of today would be like you know those mermaid um, 
pillows that yeah, people have, the mermaid fabrics. <laughs> they kind of look like that, but you know, you couldn't like push them up and reveal a second color or image. That's what they looked like. I owned tons of them and I wore them all of the time. So I would definitely wear one of those. And then maybe like, you know, we're on a beach, so I'll wear like some, some, uh, uh, let's, let's just go for a black Speedo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's, I'm just highlighting the shirt, really. That's it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you'll need to have a lot of freedom because you'll be dancing so much. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for that piece of information. I, um, I wonder, have you still kept any of those shirts? I haven't. It's a shame because I'd probably still fit into them and uh, I think I'd look real good. (laughs) But you know what? I'll pick up another one before I break loose to the disco remix of (laughs) Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. (laughs) Well, I bet you were the just shiniest boy in your middle school. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) So, student baddies, our next segment is called Bad Moonlight. And that's where we discuss some of the more creative passages from the book (laughs) that were perhaps written under a spell of what we call bad moonlight. Um, They may not be great, but they sure as heck do make us laugh. (laughs) Oh, for sure. And, um, you know, this is a 330-page long book. So as you can imagine, it's basically Lord of the Rings. It's, it's long. There's a lot of funny stuff in it. Um, I'm going to try to go through these pretty quickly because we have a lot. Uh, we'll see We'll see what I can do. Uh, the first moment comes on page six. This is a moment from Jessica where she is reflecting upon the previous year's events and their brush with Margot. This is most of the way down the page. Jessica saw a flicker of fear in her sister's blue-green eyes as well. Surely the memory of last year's New Year's Eve party still haunted Elizabeth as much as it did Jessica. More, probably. After all, it was Elizabeth who'd been targeted for murder. I like that (laughs) Jessica could give that to her. Like, you know what? She's probably a little bit more haunted by this. Nobody was trying to kill me. So, all right. But next New Year's Eve, she'll know how it feels, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so last last year we talked about the um, the time loop that the Wakefield twins exist in, where it's always their uh, uh, their junior year of school, <laughs> and that's also the case here. It is very definitively one year later, but it is not their senior <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, they're still sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> they are still sixteen. <laughs> time does not move forward. Time moves forward, but it loops back again. <laughs> I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah. Uh, we have another great Jessica moment on page 10. Well, there's a lot of great Jessica moments. Let's just start with that. Here here she's talking about uh, Elizabeth's new plan to do some charity work on New Year's Eve. I don't mind holding committee meetings during break, Jessica said, but I draw the line at spending New Year's Eve with you and Todd, thinking of ways to raise money for a hospital. That's perverse. <laughs> <laughs> She may not know what perverse means. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, she does not. Uh, the, fa- the facing page, page 11. <laughs> uh, we have Jessica belaboring this point. Let me get this straight, Jessica said, pointing a finger at her sister. You want to go to a carnival for New Year's Eve? Weird city. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think a carnival on New Year's Eve could be sort of fun. I think so too. But you know, I, who are we to judge Jessica yeah. and her her opinions here? Um, at the very least, Weird City is something I would like to uh, <laughs> have enter the official Super Chillers lexicon. Sounds Damn, great. that's Weird City. <laughs> Uh, one great moment comes from Todd. Uh, we have some very funny Todd moments because he is so very dim. Uh, on page 62, I believe this is when he's in the hospital, if I'm not mistaken. He is uh, all messed up after his car wreck. And uh, here he's talking to Elizabeth. Todd smiled again and tightened his hand on hers with a limp pressure that she knew was supposed to reassure her. I'm glad you're here, he said, his voice as weak as his grip. I guess I screwed up the caroling party. (laughs) (laughs) He's got his priorities straight. He knows he blundered big time. Honestly, he screwed it up when he was like an hour late. Like they can't go caroling past 9 p.m. (laughs) It's true. That ship has sailed. It's over. (laughs) Page 65. Another great Jessica moment. <laughs> uh, this is again our, our one of our many glimpses into her thought process. What goes on inside the mind of the most popular young woman in Sweet Valley, California? Jessica stopped, unsure of what else she wanted to say. On one hand, it felt pretty good to be a hero. She really had saved his, meaning Todd's, life. The knowledge gave her a rush that was better than shopping for bathing suits or listening to people applaud for her in a darkened theater during a school play. (laughs) I like that she can acknowledge, like she's come to some sort of uh, uh, hill in her life that she's now surmounted where she recognizes that saving the life of another person is about just as good as shopping for bathing (laughs) suits. (laughs) Um, this is just another expression that I love. We, we do have, at least for the first half of the novel, uh, many scenes set in the South where our Southern characters speak in somewhat funny ways, including here. This is, um, uh, this is Judge Bedford. I believe his name is, uh, Tucker Bedford of the <laughs> something Bedfords. He's talking to Nora, who's trying to get information about Margot and where she is. Now, they're in Long Island at the moment, um, although Bedford is from the South. And so he uses a wonderful, let's call it a Southern expression here, where uh, Nora asks, Margot's here on Long Island? Nora cried, jumping to her feet again. She's here now? Hold your thoroughbreds, young (laughs) missy, (laughs) the judge cautioned. (laughs) Yeah, that's one that'll be popping through my mind uh, for the rest of time. I would just love a whole book set in the South um, describing like Nora and the Chappelle family history. It's very, um, I don't know, I'm very intrigued. She has this mother who perhaps was in like a mental institution and she's got these very colorful characters all around her. Um, I would love to see sort of like a Chappelle saga, if you will. <laughs> Why was there not a Chappelle saga? There's like sagas about the ancestors of, the, of like all the various Sweet Valley people who are boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need that. Yeah. Wow. If only we could go back in time. <laughs> uh, well, our next moment is another, another, it's another, this one is about Jessica, but not Jessica herself thinking 
this is Mr. Wakefield describing Jessica's typical habits. This is on page 90. Mr. Wakefield comes down into the kitchen. He says, uh, I swear, a guy sleeps late on a Saturday and... His voice trailed off as he leaned over to give his wife a peck on the cheek. I'm surprised to see you down here at this hour, Jessica, he remarked, glancing at his watch. It's not quite morning yet in Jessica's standard time, is it? <laughs> I, I think this maybe explains a lot of our problems with these books, is that they're running in Jessica's standard time, which moves very, very slowly. So a year does not actually function mm. like a real year. Uh, we are not moving around the sun. Yeah. Uh, the sun is moving around Jessica. <laughs> that makes perfect sense now. Let's see. Uh, I'll skip a moment where Elizabeth gets slightly jealous that an old nurse is going to give a sponge bath to Todd, uh, <laughs> though she does. Uh, uh, I'll skip to page uh, 111, where we get uh, a Lila moment, which we don't get nearly enough Lila moments in this text. Agreed. This is a, a moment where uh, they're talking about Jessica is sort of recounting her saving of Todd. Uh, to the group of friends and uh, this is Lila speaking a couple paragraphs down the paper said you pulled Todd out of the window of the car Lila said that must have been pretty grungy I mean (laughs) didn't you get blood on your clothes (laughs) and Jessica shrugs and says well yes but you know I've learned that saving someone's life is almost as good as buying a new blouse But she also adds, besides, they weren't my clothes. They were Elizabeth's. (laughs) They were Elizabeth's, so they don't matter. (laughs) Oh, boy. Page 137 features a great Todd moment. Maybe the pinnacle of Todd moments. (laughs) Uh, This is when he is being, uh, he's being helped by Jessica in the hospital. Jessica leaned over the table for a serving spoon that was just out of her reach, and her hair glimmered like sunshine in the light of the candelabra. (laughs) Todd picked up the spoon in his good hand and held it out to her. Their fingers touched as she took it from him. The contact lasted for only a second, but a warm glow spread through Todd's body. Their eyes met, and Jessica smiled. She's beautiful, he thought, surprised that he'd never fully appreciated her before. Then she looked away, and Todd used his good hand to pull out a chair for Elizabeth. Oh, Todd, come on. <laughs> she looks exactly the same as your girlfriend. Why is this something that's like like an epiphany for you? Ugh. Yeah, um, the, he had I bet a, a bit of, um, what's it called, Nightingale Syndrome, I think, in this book. <laughs> um, because Jessica saved his life, he sort of started to develop a bit of romantic feelings for her but you know there could have been feelings there all along she does look exactly like his girlfriend and, right. and they're only 16 so he doesn't have that much um, emotional development yet so <laughs> that's true and, and last year when they were 16 jessica did try to steal him away remember yeah didn't work but maybe maybe you know with it with a year of jessica standard time in the rear view <laughs> uh we're now coming around um, this is a very small moment that I also thought was very funny, which is most of these. Page 148. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, this is the middle paragraph on the page. It's Christmas morning. It is Elizabeth alone in the shower. At the thought of her sister, Jessica's smile dissolved. 
let's see. Elizabeth had hardly said a word to her all week. She threw herself backward against the pillow. For the first time, she noticed the hiss of water in the bathroom that separated her bedroom from her twins. Elizabeth was up early, as usual, and was already in the shower. Out of habit, Jessica reached for the knob on the radio. Bruce Springsteen's version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town filled the room, drowning out... Oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I misread this. I'm going to cut this all out. I thought that <laughs> I thought that Elizabeth was singing Bruce Springsteen's Santa Claus is Coming to Town in the shower, which was so funny to me. I just imagined her, like, belting it out. <laughs> like, in Bruce Springsteen yeah. voice. Oh, damn. All that right. is really funny um, to, Im- to imagine singing that song, but as Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, unfortunately, she didn't do that in this book. It would be better if she did. <laughs> Just another note for Francine Pascal's ghostwriters. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, so we do get a little bit of Margot in this book. Not nearly enough, but the moments that we have capture a little bit of that Margot charm and energy. Uh, for instance, on page 169 in chapter 11, where Margot is brought into the Sweet Valley Inn, where Nora is staying with her $50,000. And uh, she says this to Nora. Ah, nice setup you got here, said Margot. Sweet Valley Inn, huh? La-dee-da. It sure beats my dump of the month room in somebody's basement. <laughs> I love that for the past year, instead of like continuing to plague the wakefield twins she's just been staying in somebody's like dank flooded basement yeah where she just smells bad (laughs) yeah i felt that margo um was sort of just even campier in this book and it just made me miss her um we needed more margo in this book um, yeah. She was sort of like a little character from Newsies or something. <laughs> That's how exactly. I picture. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that those uh, those characters are very stinky, and so is Margo. <laughs> uh, this is on um, uh, page one seventy. Uh, after the twins talk a little bit about how the way they don't like the how they don't like the way that mirrors look at them, um, they then uh, uh, start talking a little bit more. And she, re- Nora recognizes that, yeah, uh, Margo just smells like cigarettes. It's kind of gross. Uh, this is bottom of page 170. Nora was filled with revulsion. At the same time, her heart went out to Margo. She couldn't imagine being able to discuss grimy, nasty cockroaches in such a cavalier tone. She shuddered at the thought. Uh, I'll be finished in a few minutes if you want to take a shower, she said. Suddenly, she felt guilty. Underneath the cemetery dirt, Margot looked as if she'd started with a base of several days' worth of filth. It must be hard to keep clean, Nora thought sadly, when you have to live the kind of existence Margot has endured. She chastised herself for not letting her sister shower first. <laughs> but here's the thing. Margot doesn't want to shower. She likes the way she is. Yeah, that is not her first priority. Her first priority is just becoming a Wakefield twin. Everything else comes second. She's dedicated to this. <laughs> she's dedicated so much that she's been living in basements for the past year. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, so there's some other great Margot moments um, that are kind of small ones. Like uh, she talks about on page 173, 
how she's gotten really good at holding her breath. <laughs> <laughs> she's talking about how she uh, uh, escaped from the uh, the ambulance that fell into the lake or wherever. Mm-hmm. Margot shrugged. It's all in a day's work, she said. I've practiced for years, holding my breath for a long time. I can last over three minutes sometimes, she bragged as the girls walked back to the bedroom. If you know how to do it, you can even slow your pulse. So she's basically become like Hannibal Lecter, <laughs> you know, Uh I love that for her. I love it too. I mean, she fooled actual professional paramedics. That's impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as she says on page 174, it's easy to take people by surprise when they think you're on your deathbed. Another clue that maybe she's still out there, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Another great small Margot moment is uh, it's during the same scene. It's on uh, 175, 176. Uh, She asks Nora a question. And Nora gives a lengthy response where she's like, I've heard voices too, sort of, but it's only happened lately. I've been having recurring nightmares, blah, 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 blah. Page 176, Margot didn't reply. Nora listened to her twin slow, regular breathing, and she knew that Margot was asleep. (laughs) I love asking your own twin a question and then falling asleep during the answer. That is the kind of Margot energy we need. Nora is such an Elizabeth. <laughs> she so is. Uh, I think that is best uh, that that is best sort of uh, uh, examined by uh, this really incredible sequence that is next in our recounting, uh, which is a sort of mirrored sequence, mirrored hot dogs that is (laughs) because you know that we can't get through one of these damn books without having a hot dog scene and this one's got two (laughs) uh so first we have our uh our wakefield twins and company testing out the carnival before their actual uh new year's eve party and they're going around and you know what Mm, what's that scent in the air could it be hot dogs could we could we maybe perchance take a bite of some of those well that's what our boys want to do uh first it's todd on the middle of uh, page 178 todd says personally i'm getting hungry for something more substantial than that cloud of pink stuff we just finished that's right he doesn't know what cotton candy is he calls the cloud of pink stuff (laughs) he closed his eyes and touched his head with his fingers wait i'm receiving a vision now the great and powerful todd sees Hot dogs. (laughs) Uh, Elizabeth rolled her eyes. I think he's channeling Oscar Meyer. (laughs) Todd ignored her. I definitely see hot dogs in your future, Matthews, he repeated. Very big hot dogs. (laughs) Uh, This continues on page 179. Elizabeth burst out laughing. All right, she said. You win. I'll go get my fortune told. But if Madame Renata sees footlong hot dogs in my future, I swear I'm going to be sick. (laughs) Uh, Me too. That's disgusting. (laughs) Well, this does a hard cut at the bottom of page 179 to a scene with Nora and Margot where guess what? Guess who? Guess who's eating hot dogs? It's Margot and she's wolfing them down. (laughs) Nora watched in fascination as Margot started on her third hot dog from room service a little before noon on Sunday. What are you staring at? Margot asked through a mouthful of food. Haven't you ever seen anyone eat a hot dog? (laughs) It's cute that this motel has room service and also that they serve hot dogs. (laughs) 
Uh, sickening hot dogs, though, as Nora says. Uh, she's peering through a miasma of sickening hot dog mm-hmm. smell, which she fought back the nausea of. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's lucky that we are not seeing the smell of all these hot dogs <laughs> that we've encountered month after month. What color do you think hot dog smell would be? So it's, you know, it's that typical like sandy camel brown mm-hmm. of an actual hot dog with like yeah. a little bit of green mixed in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the best moment from this comes on page 182 where uh, they're, they're having a conversation. Uh, they're talking about Elizabeth's diary here in particular. And uh, what its contents are. And Nora asks, is there a lot of juicy stuff in there about that gorgeous boyfriend of hers? Meaning Todd. Margot rolled her eyes. Not as much as you'd think. Elizabeth is such a prude. She makes me want to throw up. Which To which we all agree. <laughs> but uh, Nora here cringed at the thought of three hot dogs and pink white carpeting. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty gross. But also is the thought of um, having to kiss Todd. <laughs> let's see uh so we have some things like okay all throughout probably the the most creative part of this text are all of the scenes where nora is imagining sense where she's visually describing them like uh she describes on page 234 margot's dark gray ashtray scent <laughs> or the magnolia scent that occurs when she is stabbing jessica but we'll skip through all that and jump to page 260 Another good Lila moment. Uh, This is after uh, Jessica is uh, pronounced dead. This is Lila's response. That's all we know, too, Olivia said. I don't know who Olivia is. She gulped. She was stabbed to death. Lila's wrenching cries grew louder. She was only 16, (laughs) she wailed. As if there's a good age to be stabbed to death in your bedroom. (laughs) Uh, Another good moment comes from the uh, internal monologue of Nora. This is on page, let's do 270. Uh, She's thinking here after she has killed Jessica, quote unquote, her eyes focused on the mirror's surface instead of her reflection in its murky, shining depths. She ran her gaze over the stark black spiderweb in the glass and she studied the dagger-like voids where splinters of mirror had fallen sparkling to the sink for now. It was her own face behind those dark, violent slashes, but soon it would be Margot's face, and it would be for real. After Margot was dead, Nora would go after Elizabeth. In the end, there could be only one, (laughs) (laughs) only one quadruplet. (laughs) Um, uh, I didn't know that twins in Sweet Valley are like Highlanders. There can only be one. You have to kill all of the others until you are the ultimate twin. Yeah, I mean, right now there are two. So I think they're okay with two as well as one. (laughs) Well, maybe not, because Nora also reflects on page 287 about how twins? Fake news. Not real. The girl in the mirror, Nora whispered, rolling her eyes as she repeated the title of Elizabeth's poem. What sentimental nonsense. Nora had been through the looking glass, and she knew that the mirror was broken. The girl inside the mirror was a fantasy. 
twins were a fantasy. They're not real. They don't exist. <laughs> Stop thinking about them. Nora is clear. Much like Elizabeth is the poet writing this beautiful uh, memorial poem for Jessica, which she only reads about half of before stopping. Uh, Nora is clearly, at least in her own mind, the poet of uh, the Mar- Margot and Nora dynamic. <laughs> Next moment comes on page uh, 290. This is a great moment of uh, writing from our ghostwriter. It is what I would call a uh, triple mixed metaphor. The very top of the page on 290. Thoughts were percolating in Elizabeth's brain like puzzle pieces that wouldn't quite fit together. They were trying to tell her something. She just had to dig deeper. Then she would understand. So have you ever yourself dug some puzzle pieces out of the ground and then put them in your uh, drip coffee machine to percolate? If you were editing the student's paper, um, I'm sure you would circle that. (laughs) Say, choose one. (laughs) One. Only one. Like a twin, there can only be one. (laughs) Yeah, puzzle pieces don't really percolate, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) There's another beautiful uh, prose moment on page 304. This one comes in Elizabeth's mind. It's the first full paragraph on the page. The house of mirrors, Elizabeth thought. Was that a clue? Somehow it seemed important, but she wasn't sure how it fit in. If the house of mirrors was Jessica's missing key, then Elizabeth hadn't found the right keyhole. You know, that's how you solve mysteries. You find a key and then you put it in the keyhole. But sometimes you got to test out a few different keyholes before you find the right keyhole. (laughs) Um, the very next page features another great elizabeth moment this is 305 uh she is being interviewed by detective pappas and uh, (laughs) detective pappas has a handgun and boy uh liz right before she steals this handgun has a little bit of a gun fetish elizabeth's gaze was drawn to detective pappas's handgun looking so shiny and lethal as it sat in its holster, hugging her large, solid body. This is like the most (laughs) horny I have ever seen Elizabeth as she's talking about this gun. Margo could make use of a weapon like that, Elizabeth thought. She shivered despite the stuffy room. It sends a chill up her spine. That's how uh, uh, cold and bothered she is. (laughs) You know... Detective Pappas, like, sounds really beautiful. She has, like, this coppery hair. There's a part where she, like, dramatically takes off her navy blazer that she's wearing. Um, (laughs) I think Elizabeth might have a little something for Detective Pappas. I think so. This is an awakening for Elizabeth. I love this for her. (laughs) Well, uh, like Elizabeth is filled with the chilly air of uh, her sexual awakening, uh nora is filled with something else Uh, this is on page 312 another great poetic moment very top of the page but she nora was a creature of darkness now the cemetery winds had filled her with their strength (laughs) i liked that part as well she was a creature of darkness (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean she's talking herself up in a way that never really comes to fruition but i love it um yeah uh small detail it's not really worth um like reading out loud but (laughs) other than it's uh, the brief description of it on page 318 we do learn that um when jessica is uh restrained by margo in the in the basement of the school the high school 
thankfully there is in a tiny alcove a foul smelling toilet that she's been able to use for these multiple days <laughs> she's been missing um, i can't think of why there would be one there in what is like the boiler room of this high school but sure there is last little moment is on page 325 it is uh, uh, after everything has been resolved, Nora has been taken into custody, Margot has been dead for a few days, Jessica is saved, everything is A-OK, and uh, Stephen makes a, a you know a, a walk-on part here uh, where he's <laughs> you know continues with, with what he's been doing the whole time, which is sort of saying, hey, hey, girls, I didn't even know. I, I, I never <laughs> believed you. I sure didn't believe you, Stephen said. I guess I should take this psychic connection stuff more seriously when it comes to you two clones. <laughs> Jessica laughed. You could bring us into your psych class for show and tell. <laughs> <laughs> There have only been about 200 prior Sweet Valley High books where they've <laughs> talked about this psychic connection, so I guess he finally is catching on. <laughs> Our next segment is called Win lose or die it is where we give you some advice about whether or not you should check out this book is it a win do we love it is this a great piece of literature is it a lose meaning pretty much the opposite of that or is it a die <laughs> meaning this is not a good piece of literature at all but it is pretty funny and you should probably read it for that reason katie how do you feel <laughs> about return of the evil twin um so i gave this book a die um <laughs> yeah. You know, I think we've mentioned some of the negatives. Uh, I didn't really like all of the sisterly fights. I felt they were pretty repetitive. And I also just get annoyed when there are misunderstandings that could easily be solved if people would just finish their sentences instead of storming off. Um, yeah. But in this case, they dwelled on them for pretty much the whole book. Um, but again, I I really loved Margot in this book. I loved how campy she was. I wish we had even more odd couple scenes of Margot and Nora together because Margot is so dirty and messy and Nora's like so neurotic. Yes. And, you know, I wish that instead of deciding to kill Jessica and Elizabeth, Margot and Nora became friends with Jessica and Elizabeth and then they could have twice as many twin shenanigans. Oh my gosh. Don't you think? You yeah, I mean, just imagine how confused their boyfriends would be. I know. I mean, if they had introduced themselves to Jessica and Elizabeth, best case scenario, the twins' parents are like, wow, we didn't realize when we adopted you that there were two other twins, so we're going to also adopt you. And then they could continue to live in the Wakefield's life. But worst case scenario, they could just be like, look, we could pull twice as many pranks as you're currently pulling now that there are four of us so i, mean, I just think it would have been better i mean pranks you're 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 casting too low i think it's time that they all do crimes <laughs> together yeah margo can lead them into a grand new future of crimes <laughs> um but i thought it was a fun and silly read um not as good as the evil twin i didn't think but it's still sets a good tone for the rest of 2023. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gave this one a really weak die. <laughs> Ooh, that's pretty bad. <laughs> I know. It is a totally mm. unnecessary sequel. It retcons Margot's 
glorious death and then kills her off again almost immediately after making a few cracks about how stinky she is right which is appreciated <laughs> but but still uh so instead we're left with nora who is a bora yeah. uh the og evil twin really benefited from it being the culmination of like what like a five or six part miniseries mm-hmm. as that allowed margo to get started immediately with her twin replacement strategy uh while nora takes like half this book to even realize that that's a plan that she can bring to fruition yeah Uh, There was so much going on in the lives of the Wakefields during the first Evil Twin book that it was literary whiplash trying to take it all in. And that was really pretty exciting because we weren't only following Margot scheming, but also the aftermath of the whole Jungle Prom fiasco, (laughs) which was so much fun. Uh, This book, on the other hand, only meaningfully references the Evil Twin. So it's just rehashing the first book which in itself was at least partially a rehash of the previous books in the miniseries. Mm-hmm. So this is just a rehash of the rehash. And it's weird that like nothing has ha- happened in the full year since the events of the evil twin. Like, yeah. you know, there's nothing going on in the lives of these girls. Have they just been asleep? <laughs> uh, it's a missed opportunity that I think the series editors hadn't built in some fun drama to pay off here as like a big culmination. So instead they create this whole jessica todd stuff with the car accident which is honestly more absurd than any of the evil (laughs) twin shenanigans um so in the end uh the og evil twin was such a high bar that return would have had its work cut out for it if it wanted to top it unfortunately like todd it falls asleep behind the wheel and careens (laughs) over a cliff ouch (laughs) (laughs) sorry yeah i do wish that the return of the evil twin had just been the return of Marco. I don't know if we needed Nora, although I did really love her like proper Southern Belle upbringing. Um, I thought that that was really lovely. I would have liked to see more of that, but um, I can just read that in a VC Andrews, so no big deal. <laughs> So our next segment is called Final Exam, where we play a fun game that's inspired by the book that we just read. Um, Jeffrey, do you have a game for us to play this month? Uh, I've got a game with my bells on because I'm a reindeer with bells that are awesome. popping up and down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you want to go first or second? Uh, I'll go second. Okay, cool. That means I will go first. So, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Have you heard of that TikTok game that's called He's a 10, but... (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Okay, so basically you um, give someone's physical appearance a rating, but then you name another one of their like personality quirks and (laughs) the other person has to decide if that makes them more or less attractive. So for example, if I said Lila Fowler is an 8... But she's the snobbiest girl in Sweet Valley, then I would say 10 because that makes her more physically attractive to me. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Do you get it? I, I think so. So am I, am I rating them after you give me something? Yep, you just have to rate them um, how, how much better or worse they would be because of one of these quirks about them. Okay, got it. You'll pick it up. I love it. So these are all (laughs) Sweet Valley characters. Some are from this book. Some are um, quirks that I've learned from some of their other books. So for example, um, let's start with an easy one. Let's go with Elizabeth. She's a six, 
but she thinks that hot dogs are gross. Seven. <laughs> I mean, she can't go up too far. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> okay, how about with Jessica? She's an eight, but she doesn't know how to use an ironing board. I mean, eight. <laughs> I didn't expect that she did. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so how about Todd? He's a nine, but he once uttered the words, one Todd Wilkins deluxe smooch coming up. <laughs> what was his original number? A nine. A not? Mm. We're going down to a two. <laughs> <laughs> How about Bruce Patman? He's an eight, but according to Jessica Wakefield, he kisses like a dead jellyfish. <laughs> Again, I kind of expected that, but he is really rich, though, so eight stays the same. Mm, okay. Yeah, I think that's that's true. Um, okay, and how about Margot? She's a 10, but she has literal cockroaches crawling all over her. <laughs> 11. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought, too. <laughs> um, okay, that's all I have for my game. <laughs> Yeah, I don't understand TikTok. Was I supposed to be dancing while I gave my answers? No, it's just um, a way to assess other features of a person's personality than just their physical appearance. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, I- I'm registering my TikTok account as we speak. All right. So my game for you is called The 12 Days of Margot. Well, what is this? Okay. Well, you you know the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, don't you? Well, that's not what we got here. This is The Twelve Days of Margot. And so what you're going to do is Mad Lib style, replace all of the various gifts that you are given uh, by uh, Margot. And they should be uh, related to the Sweet Valley world, this book, or just, you know, what we've picked up from our our, our double double excursion into the uh, uh, the Sweet Valley universe. <laughs> um, so we're going to go, uh, I'm, I'm just going to get your responses from uh, uh, 12 to 1, and then we're, we're going to sing it out loud. Isn't that nice? Ooh. Oh, I love that. That's so festive. So uh, off mic, Katie came up with all of the various gifts that one is given <laughs> during the 12 days of Margot, and we are going to share them with you now, and I will, I will even sing a little bit in order to present these to you. On the twelfth day of Margot, my true twin sent to me <laughs> twelve carolers singing. Grandma got rid of my reindeer. Eleven foot long <laughs> hot dogs. Ten bedspread eyelets. Nine more Wakefield clones. Eight Prince Albert's leaping. Seven Fiat spiders. Six Fowler parties. Five visible aromas. <laughs> Four Winston Egberts, three Jungle Proms, two dirt bike rallies, and a Margot in a pear tree. That was beautiful. Oh my gosh, that was beautiful. That should be our new theme song. Okay, uh, cutting it in now. <laughs> Right, it's time to pick our next book. Yes, we are choosing the next book at random from our Super Chillers official beret. While Katie is pulling, I want to remind you, 
You can email us, and we really would love you to email us at superchillerspod at gmail.com. Superchillerspod at gmail.com. We would love to uh, share some letters on on air uh, in an upcoming episode. So if you have anything you want to share with us, your comments, your suggestions, your effusive praise of us and everything related to us, we'd be We'd be so glad to share it. So please send us an email, superchillerspod at gmail.com. You can also follow us at super underscore chillers on Instagram and Twitter if it still exists. Uh, but for the moment, you can definitely find us on Instagram. Uh, and of course, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the provider of your choice. Katie, what has the beret chosen? Next month, we'll be reading... Devil Wind from the Dark Forces series by Laurie Bridges and Paul Alexander. Ooh, I'm excited. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my devil wind. I am wind. so excited. <laughs> I have never read anything from Dark Forces. Yeah, so it'll be fun for you to encounter the very uh, spooky and spiritual world of Dark Forces. Awesome. I'm so excited to dive into this series. As we head into 2023, um, Jeffrey, do you have any words of advice or resolutions for our student bodies? Until next year, keep in mind, it's always happy hour in Jessica Standard time. (laughs) In 2023, try to be interesting enough that a psychopath would want to kill you and take over your life. (laughs) Good night. Good night. Good night.